Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Point and Click Radio. This is the bi-weekly computer show here on KZYX, the place where we answer your computer questions and bring you the latest computer and internet news. I'm Jim Hyde. Bob Lawton has the, light off, the night off tonight. I think he might be shoveling snow by candlelight or something. Um, but it is my pleasure to be here. And it is my equal pleasure that um, sitting just adjacent to me is Toby Molina, who has been um, the, uh, the who, who is the point and click radio research desk. And the person who is bringing us has been bringing us the tip of the week segments for the last several uh, shows, a new segment that we do each show. Uh, welcome, Toby. Welcome to Point and Click. Hi, Jim. Thanks for uh, thanks for being here tonight for not just the tip of the week, but well, the whole show. The Toby of the week. <laughs> the Toby of the week. I like it. Yeah. So we um, we have a couple of little news items tonight that we want to go through, and then we want to talk a little bit about Starlink, which you may have heard about. It's been in the news a lot lately. It is a satellite internet system that might just, might just, not quite yet, but maybe just might be the answer or at least an answer for getting high-speed internet to areas like ours, which is a very broadband-starved area, as if I need to tell a lot of our listeners. And uh, then in the second half hour or so of the show, we will open up the phones and take calls, questions that, uh, that you might have. Um, but, but first of all, though, we wanted to talk about the weather because, well, we've been having some weather the last couple of days. And Toby and I are big fans of a website that lets you get very local, very local and very accurate weather forecasts and all kinds of other great weather geeky information you know i think people in this part of the world tend to be kind of weather geeks where you know what direction is the wind coming from are we going to have offshore winds and they're not it's not more it's more than just a um kind of hobby it's often a matter of um survival or safety when it comes to fire season or um winter gales and things like that and the site that i'm referring to is Wonderground, and that's the word underground with a W at the beginning of it, Wonderground, not W-O, not wonder like wonder bread, but the word underground with a W before it, wonderground.com. And it is actually a website that is now owned by a big company that you may have heard of, IBM, but um, it started out as a more kind of grassroots effort, and it still kind of retains a really significant grassroots um, aspect, and that is this whole notion of personal weather stations. It basically is a crowdsourced source for weather information. It's a global community of people connecting their personal weather stations and being able to provide information, you know, on their block or, you know, on their street, and you can look very, you know, very often around here, you can get a weather report, but it's coming from Ukiah, or it's mm, coming. Which means it, this could be a fifty degree difference, depending. Right, on the or of the it's year. it's coming from you know Fort Bragg. It depends depends on where you live as to how useful it is for you. Well, I can look at in five different Albion personal weather stations and see precisely what's going on there. There are over two hundred and fifty thousand personal weather stations that all coalesce to make the information that uh, is on Wonderground. So these are the. Weather stations that so many of us have with a little anemometer that, you know, put on your roof and it spins around in the wind and it reads out the weather in a little uh, display that you might have in your kitchen or in your den or something like that. But these are also weather stations that connect to the Internet. Correct. And you can register your weather station. You have to have certain, your weather station has to be of a certain kind in order to be considered for part of the community. But you just simply register your station. You provide certain information to Wonderground, and you, all of a sudden, your weather station, as you name it, will pop up on the map. And all of these crowdsourced personal weather stations are used to gather information and then to forecast more accurately locally. Because... Although the National Weather Service has state-of-the-art equipment at, at each of their locations, and there's 
weather stations out on buoys and, and on tops of antennas, on tops of mountains like Signal Ridge. This is the land of microclimates where the temperature can vary 20 degrees over a few mile distance or the wind or the precipitation can vary um, significantly over a couple of miles. So the beauty of having all of these personal weather stations connected to the internet and viewable on the internet gives you that kind of hyper local weather conditions and it gives them it gives the folks at IBM who also use supercomputers to do climate modeling and things like that, it gives them a degree of data that they wouldn't have otherwise. Exactly. So if you wanted to, um, so you don't have to have, a, obviously you don't have to weather, have a weather station to be able to use the website. Um, you can just go to wonderground.com. And if you have a mobile device, they have really nice apps for the iPhone. Which are for, free. For, which are free. Um, for for Android, for um, iPhones, and for iPads, and you can use the app to look at personal weather stations all over the planet. The two hundred and a quarter of a million of them, you said. Two hundred, yeah, quarter of a million plus. Yeah. If you want to be a contributor, then there is an area I think on their website where they list, don't they? Where they list some recommended models that um, I think they have a, an area of their site that list products that they know work well with their service. If you go to wonderground.com slash PWS slash overview, as in personal weather station slash overview, you'll find a lot of information about the types of weather stations, uh, how to install them, how to tweak them. It's a great uh, information, even if you're not interested in becoming part of this community, about uh, researching weather stations, installing them, et cetera. They have some great information. Very cool. And a little buying tip for our listeners. Um, if you live in a windy part of the world, which, uh, which is a lot of, of this station's listening uh, area, there are um, rain gauges in personal weather stations that are called self-emptying, where it almost works like a little see It works exactly like a little seesaw. With a little, imagine a seesaw with a little cup at each end of it. So when the one of the cups, the cup that is in the up direction, fills up with water, it goes down, the gravity pushes it down, and then thus empties it. And then the other cup starts to fill. And so in seesawing back and forth, that's how it measures the amount of precipitation. However, <laughs> we have found that here in the very windy coast, Sometimes that little seesaw can just kind of start going up and down on its own because of the wind. Um, and on a particularly windy day, our weather station can say, like, hey, we got 23 inches of rain in the last two hours. Well, <laughs> that's not a thing. Um, so as you research weather stations, particularly if you, if you live in an, an exposed ridgetop location or a coastal location that just gets the kind of wind that those locations get, um, <clears throat> you want to do some research into, into, the, um, into the kind of um, rain gauge that a weather station has. I think they're all pretty much of that kind of seesawing back and forth style, but um, in our experience, there are ones that are much more sensitive or more prone to that seesawing effect that the wind can cause. So, um, wonderground.com, that's W-U-N-D, like underground, but with a W at the beginning of it, wonderground.com slash P-W-S slash overview. All right, cool. And then we'll all have something to talk about of the weather, not about the weather, not only just like, hey, it was cold here, but it was 52.3 yesterday, and it felt like 41 because of the wind chill. It got cold. It got down to 31 at our place um, the, the other day. Yesterday. That was yesterday. That was yesterday. <laughs> Unfortunately, we cannot report to the world um, <clears throat> or to our listeners how much rain we got because the rain gauge in our weather station is broken. <laughs> this is Point and Click Radio, the bi-weekly computer show. Jim Hyde and Toby Molina here with you as Bob Lawton has the night off. And um, there was another uh, developing piece of tech news that are uh, that is pretty important for... Um, anyone who has an Apple mobile device, an iPhone or an iPad, what's the deal there? Apple is urging iPhone and iPad users to 
promptly update their operating systems to fix security bugs that may have already been exploited by hackers. Ow. And that's anybody who's using uh, iOS 14. Okay. Um, uh, they have just released today uh, iOS 14.4 to put the kibosh on apparently three security flaws mm. that have left the operating system uh, exposed. Apple does not disclose, discuss, or confirm security issues until an investigation has occurred and patches um, are released. Uh, so don't know a lot more than that other than if you have an iPad or a, an iPhone and you are uh, running iOS 14, just go right ahead and do that update. It also fixes some uh, keyboard lag and uh, has some QR code goodness the attached to it and polish yeah. that they always do whenever they do an update and keyboard lag is always a good thing to improve but this is a real security issue and it's just i would recommend that everybody just go right ahead and do that update if you're running ios 14 and you do that through uh, oftentimes your device will say hey there's a new update available oftentimes your device may be set to automatically install it if it isn't then you go into settings you go into settings into general into software update and just it'll check for updates and just go right ahead and uh, say yes to 14.4. Make sure that your device is either plugged in or on a Qi charger yeah. and just leave it alone until the update is done. And it's going to take a while. It's a, it's a slow update. Yeah, yeah. We were on a Zoom call with your dad earlier today and he was updating it and he's just like, oh, I really wanted to check my mail. And I kept or I really answering wanted to get the phone. This incoming call. And it's always good with your iPhone, your iPad, or your Android device, or your Mac, your PC, for example, for, 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 uh, for that matter. When you're doing a big operating system update, just kind of leave it alone. Just oh, let step it... Step away. Step, step away, away from the device. Stop answering the phone. <laughs> it's, hard to, it's hard to take your hands off those little devices sometimes, <laughs> but give it that time. It'll often take upwards of an hour. These, this 14.4 update seemed to take like... like it took a long time. It's clearly is robust because it took quite a while. Yeah, there's a lot going on. So um, We both got antsy as it updated. Give it <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I was like, can I use your phone? Oh, no, she's updating too. Oh. <laughs> I still haven't updated my iPad yet, so I need to. I need to do yeah. that too because usually I, I, I'm I'm not quick to update, right? Uh, only because if something is you know if it works, why fix it? And they may fix two things but break one thing. Yeah, but under these circumstances, when it's a security related issue, I update right away. Yeah, you don't want hackers getting into your getting into your phone and doing nefarious stuff. So 14.4 is the new version of iOS or iPad OS for the Apple iPads, um, and Point and Click recommends that you recommend that you update your devices promptly. Toot sweet. Toot sweet. So, let's talk about broadband. This is a frequent subject that we hear um, listeners asking about. Um, it's a subject that we know people in this area are interested in because it is an issue here in a rural county, as it is across the United States in rural areas, it is estimated that 51% um, of um, residents of rural areas do not have broadband um, or inadequate, or they have inadequate um, internet, not quite high-speed internet. And if we've seen anything since, oh, March or so of last year, Fast internet is more important than ever. People are using it to communicate with each other, um, to keep in touch with other people, uh, to do radio shows <laughs> like we are right now, uh, to educate their kids, to meet with their doctors. And all of that stuff requires something better than a dial-up connection. And it really requires something better than the kinds of half-decent broadband options that a lot of people have been uh, dealing with lately, like satellite internet. So um, there are gradually more and more broadband options opening up in this area. Um, the cable companies and phone companies aren't really building out their networks because they're big companies and they don't care all that much about um, relatively sparsely populated areas, um, which is why there is such a kind of broadband desert in so many rural areas. But um, there are other options that have been 
uh, appearing like local internet providers, places like Pacific Internet, uh, places like Sonic, um, places like the Mendocino Community Network. There are wireless internet service providers like Further Reach, which serves a lot of the uh, a lot of the coast and in as far as uh, Anderson Valley, depending on the geography of where you live. And there are other WISPs and are other wireless internet providers that uh, that serve the, uh, the Ukiah Valley and the Willits area. But there is another option that is not well. It's not quite an option yet, but it's a technology and a company that we think is worth keeping a close eye on. And that is a company called Starlink. And um, we want to talk about Starlink tonight, not in a, hey, you need to go out and get this because it's kind of in a lot of ways not really here yet. But we want to get it on your radar because um, we think it is a company and technology that is worth keeping an eye on. So, Toby, what's the, uh, what's, why should I care about Starlink? What's the deal? Well, simply put, satellite, it's a satellite internet service intended to provide broadband around the world, including rural and remote areas like ours. So there has been satellite internet for a long time. Companies like Hughes and uh, Exceed and Viasat. Um, what's the difference? Why is, why is Starlink getting a lot of attention? Oh, it's worth mentioning this is, a comp- this is an enterprise of SpaceX. All right. Uh, Elon Musk's company. Um, so standard satellites, for any of us who are using satellite broadband, are a whopping 22,000 miles above the planet. Starlink satellites will be in low Earth orbit, which is about 300 miles above the Earth. So the closer distance means that Internet signals can communicate with Starlink satellites at an exponentially faster rate resulting in super fast internet speeds with extremely low lag time, which is also called latency. Latency is is the big killer for, let's call it conventional or old school satellite. satellite. Because that satellite is in geosynchronous orbit, it's pointed at the same part of the planet all the time. So as the Earth rotates, the satellite is always kind of moving along and, and looking down at the same part of the planet at the same time. Um, that means that each mouse click has to go up into space and back down again, and then, okay, they went that web page. So then that web page has to go up to the satellite and back down. So there's that latency between the time you actually do something and something actually happens on your screen. So um, latency or speed is, is measured in milliseconds in, in, in this instance. And uh, traditional satellite providers like HughesNet uh, typically deliver latency at about 600 milliseconds. Which is almost a second, right? That's two-thirds, two-thirds of a second. Starlink is promising latency below 30 milliseconds, so 20 wow. times faster than traditional satellite. And that's really where it shines. That delay in sending information becomes exponentially less. And you might say... You know, it's only two-thirds of a second. I mean, are we so impatient in this modern day that we can't, you know, wait that extra amount of time? But it, adds it turns up. out, and it turns out that um, it's a deal-breaker for a lot of types of Internet communications. Video conferencing, like Zoom, which we're using right now to do this show, is a much iffier proposition over satellite. Um, there are a lot of companies and businesses, including a lot of people who have to work at home these days, are using something called VPNs, virtual private networks, um, which are which add this extra layer of security to a network. VPNs are particularly um, unhappy with that extra latency. So it's not just a matter of, hey, my, I want my web pages to appear faster. <clears throat> it's the fact that a lot of internet services just don't work or don't work well with high latency systems it there's a question of patience and then there's a question of it just simply not working yeah um where something is is just drops out you're doing a big download you're doing a big upload and your satellite 
connectivity just says, mm, no, no, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> that that happened. That certainly happens plenty. You know, there, it's okay to be patient, but if it's not working at all, that's that's then problematic. Patience is irrelevant. <laughs> uh, also, the speeds um, uh, that Starlink is promising will they're saying will reach up to one uh gigabyte per second or like gigabit service uh and that you can think of it well you can think of it as you can download a two-hour movie in about 25 seconds (laughs) okay (laughs) and gigabit internet is i mean that's typically like the gold standard in the big cities right and And, uh hughesnet for example offers a maximum of 25 megabit service and uh, download speed, and Viastat tops out at about 100 megabits. Mm-hmm. So you, that's 10 times faster than, than what you're getting with Viastat. Right. Uh, also, the Starlink satellite network, which is controversial, of course, we'll talk about that, will be huge. Upwards of 40,000 satellites in low Earth orbit um, when they're done with their build-out, um, compared to about 2,000 total satellites for uh, conventional uh, conventional satellite. So more satellites contribute to higher reliability as they can pass signals off to one another in the event of an interruption and preventing interruptions more readily. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they also claim that, um, and this is important, they haven't addressed this a lot, which is um, they claim their system will be easily scalable to allow them to grow with the user base, which is frequently an issue with a traditional satellite, which is it works great, and then you tell all your neighbors about it, <laughs> and then it's not so great. <laughs> right, exactly. um, so unlike, un- unlike standard satellite connectivity, which, which degrades or becomes slower you know, quickly until they launch another satellite, um, at this point, um, it looks like they will be able to you know, blanket the world, essentially, with about forty to 50,000 of these small low-Earth orbit satellites they're like little they call them cubesats in some cases they're like smaller than a shoebox are they significantly smaller is that are they oh, yeah, really they're, physically smaller they're physically itty bitty yeah they they launch and they have a very cool design that is a very kind of flat fold-up design where if you if you are a, a space junkie like me and you follow the spacex um launches um they've launched i don't know maybe a couple of hundred of these so far about a thousand oh, a thousand wow um they they like stack them in this rack where they're just lined up one after another and then when they deploy them it's like a sounds bunch like, of it's like, like a, a t-shirt cannon it's it, <laughs> no it's, it's more like a uh, it's more like a beehive i mean they all just kind of it's like a slow oh. motion beehive where they all just kind of float out of the uh out of the nose cone of the rocket that's cool and then park themselves in the designated spot it's it's the future as the craft works craft work boys would say um so, so faster internet faster much less latency and that's really where that's really the, the shiny object here yeah. is that the latency is greatly greatly reduced right. um and hopefully uh, as affordable if not more so than the current satellite options right right so um there's people like you know, putting up their phones, wanting to call an order now, right now. So, what's the status of like what's so, what's the reality check? So, to date, they've launched somewhere around a thousand of these low Earth orbit satellites, a fraction of what they'll need for total do- global coverage, but enough to provide service in some areas. And right now, they have launched uh, in October of last year of 2020. They launched the better than nothing beta test. <laughs> uh, so. Basically, what they're saying is um, we can't, there's going to be outages, there's going to be inconsistent speeds, mm-hmm. um, but it, it's working. If you're willing to tread the bleeding edge, right. they will sell you the gear and, and a subscription if it's available. If it's available in your area, and there are very few areas. If you want to go see people's breathless unboxing of their <laughs> Starlink uh, deliveries, you can go to TikTok and I'm sure YouTube and YouTube any of the too. places yeah. where people can upload things that you want to watch them unpack. Right. Um, you can watch uh, people uh, uh, unbox. You can get an idea. It's very simple. It's a box. It's a tripod. It's a 
a dish, you plug it in. Uh, I saw one person was showing 85 megabit service, just plugged the thing in and it worked. One of the really cool things about it, and, and I encourage you, if you're intri intrigued about this, listeners, um, go to YouTube and do a search for Starlink and you'll see some of these uh, unboxing Unboxing. and setup videos yep. that Toby mentioned. Um, but one of the really cool things is if you've ever dealt with installing satellite internet or, um, or a satellite TV dish, you know that it's a really finicky process of aiming the dish at the satellite. You've got to be just spot on, rather, uh, otherwise you get either a weak signal or more likely no signal at all. The Starlink dish, which is maybe about the size of Small. a, like an LP, like a vinyl record. A little bigger, little, little bigger. yeah. Okay. Um, and it's really, it's nicely, it looks like something Apple would have designed. Yeah, it's, it's all white. white. Everything's white. White <laughs> and shiny. <clears throat> you basically put it on uh, a, in this, this tripod that comes in the box, and I also will have rooftop mounts, mounts for it. Um, you turn it on, and it finds the satellites. It, the, the little dish goes, and it, you know, it moves itself. But you still have to, as anybody who has currently has satellite TV or satellite connectivity, knows you have to have no obstructions largely in the area where right. this, where you're hitting satellites very so the same point. holds with with starlink at the moment the, the the satellite coverage is very limited and so that might be there might be even more finickiness because they're not blanketing the sky with with satellites just yet but it means that your view of the the sky in the direction you need to go has to be completely clear. Yeah. Branches and trees and other obstructions. If you are deep in the woods, um, then you would need to clear some trees to make it work. Um, they have, and so, it, it, of course, what we're always all wondering is what's it going to cost. Yeah. Uh, they've yet to announce any concrete internet plans or prices, but it's likely they'll offer at least one unlimited plan. Um, oh, yeah, that's important. Let's, yeah. let's talk about that. Data caps. One of the big things in the satellite world and with people who have cell phones, too, um, and other kinds of Internet plans, if you go over a certain amount of usage, you're watching a lot of high-definition movies or you're doing a lot of Zoom calls or whatnot, um, you're downloading those two-hour movies in 20 seconds, um, you can reach up to the limit of your data plan, and they will then throttle you way back. FAP you. FAP, fair access policy. Policy, right. Um, what do we know about Starlink and FAPing? They really haven't said, they've said, they haven't said a lot when it comes to their data plans yet. They haven't said um, whether that will be an issue. There is some speculation that they may go entirely unlimited, like Viasat mm. has, has gone with no caps. Um, I think the expectation is that once they have all of these satellites in orbit, it won't be an issue. But they're not willing to say it's not an issue. <laughs> um, it, pricing is not final. Uh, it currently looks like the initial service is priced somewhere between 80 to $99 a month, mm -hmm. plus a $500 upfront cost to order the kit so that is you know can that can certainly be prohibitive oh, so you have to the, the the dish the little dish yeah the gear yeah uh the kit includes a user terminal to connect to the satellites a mounting tripod and wi-fi router oh. um you know again i don't want to marginalize that's a lot of money sure yeah um but uh, uh i don't know they have not finalized that number hopefully it will come down yeah yeah Really interesting. You know, I mean, we, we're we big believers in shopping local. And if you have the option to get internet service from a local provider, um, that's always a great option because you're not only supporting a local business, but you're also likely to um, not remain on hold for 45 minutes if you have a technical support question. Um, but the fact of the matter is, um, a lot of areas of our county and surrounding counties are not served by um, by even the local providers, much less the big ones. And old school satellite, satellite 1.0, has so many disadvantages when it comes to latency and post possible data caps. Um, and I, and I've, I've read too that um, another problem with satellite internet is um, rain fade, is a big storm slowing you down or knocking you offline entirely. And I have heard that Anecdotally, at least, or Starlink's claim is that because the satellites are in lower Earth orbit. That's the claim. That it's less prone 
to rain fade. And also the ability. We'll see. There's also the ability because they are creating what they they're calling a satellite constellation. Yeah. Uh, that these satellites can hand off to each other, and they're closer together, more coverage. And so they might be able to eliminate things like rain fade because you can hand off to another right. satellite that might be able to provide where otherwise it would just fail previously. Interesting. Really interesting. Uh, so everybody's thinking, how do I sign up for the beta? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, how do I get in on the better than nothing program? It's so um, it's actually quite simple. You go to Starlink.com. There is not much there other than a black page with a couple of uh, form fields. Will you put in your email address and your address? And uh, once you hit submit, they, you will get a message back saying, we will be happy to let you know when the beta becomes available in your area. Yeah. I believe I have submitted my address and my phone number 40 times. <laughs> I have never, I haven't yet to hear back because I don't think that probably right here is, obviously we um, don't have any satellites in our area just yet. Right. But uh, certainly I think they will be anxious to get everybody on board. So if it's something you're interested in, obviously there's no commitment involved. There's nothing wrong with just... Putting, putting your name and in, in for putting your info or in. your fake email address that you only submit to right. you know that you use when you shop and you don't want to get spam in your real email address use your that spam, your spam bucket use your spam bucket email address yeah but do provide your correct address <laughs> right right um, yeah your physical address because they want to know they need they need that information to know whether or not they can uh, they, they'll be able to serve you and Starlink is the only company working to leverage a lower Earth orbit satellite system. To deliver fast internet, um, there's a, a, a um, an effort called Project Kuiper, I think, K-U-I-P-E-R, and I think that that's a Jeff Bezos-backed yeah. effort. Um, another building, billion, yeah. another billionaire yeah, project. It's a race of the billionaires. Yes. Um, there's not a lot of information on whether that will be um, for residential um customers or that will be there's another uh, one called web ad or something like that that is for like marine and government and military uh, 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 so it's you know it's still in its infancy but it does seem like it, it's clear that starlink has a consumer model in mind that's what, so. that's what they're pointed at big time big time and it seems like they've got a head start at least because they are they actually have a thousand satellites in space now and they're actually delivering internet right. to at least some areas in their, in, their, in their test phase right now. So let's talk about the controversy that are connected to this constellation of low Earth orbit satellites. Yeah, that's, that's, that's all the kind of the potentially good news behind um, uh, uh, Starlink. And we'll remind folks before we get to the bad news or the controversies anyway, that, uh, that they're listening to Point and Click Radio, the bi-weekly computer show with yours truly, Jim Hyde and Toby Molina from the Point and Click Radio Research Desk here on KZYX in Philo, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. When you launch 40,000 satellites into space, there's got to be a downside. <laughs> and what would that be? <laughs> uh, there's a threat to these you know, multitude of satellites' effect on ground-based astronomy. Oh, yeah. And there's a lot of pushback from the scientific community. Um, they'll tell you that Starlink is all too easy to spot in the sky. Mm. And uh, with so many satellites in orbit... They've come under fire from astronomers who say this constellation could affect up to half of all exposures from observatories. Ooh. So it's yet to be seen if the company, um, you know, what the response is. I think you told me today that there's an effort for them to actually paint them. Yeah. So they aren't so reflective and so they are more invisible. And to talk a little bit about um, the strategies for making sure that they don't become 42,000 obsolete pieces of space garbage eventually. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, space, the whole space junk is another controversial aspect um, because there are already, of course, thousands and thousands of satellites um, <clears throat> in various degrees of altitude um, from, from low Earth to geosynchronous. And... Um, those satellites don't last forever, and when satellites break, they are floating junk, and when the thrusters in them, all satellites have thrusters on board, little tiny rockets on them that keep the satellite oriented in the right direction, when those thrusters go down or run out of fuel when the satellite reaches the end of its life, then the satellite is basically just a floating piece of junk traveling about 17,000 miles an hour. 
And if that hits another satellite, then that creates thousands of pieces of little tiny pieces of space junk, all of which are traveling 17,000 miles per hour. And they become a huge threat to not only other satellites, but even to things like the International Space Station. The International Space Station has, on more than one occasion, um, adjusted its um, uh, its orbit <clears throat> to avoid, excuse me, to avoid a piece of space junk. They're, the Air Force actually tracks thousands and thousands of pieces of space junk that range in size from bolts and astronauts' gloves and wrenches that have floated away during spacewalks to um, spent first stages or second stages of rockets from um, ancient Apollo-era rocket launches. Um, so besides the whole concern about what is this going to do to our telescopes on the ground and our ability to you know, um, um, uh, study the heavens from the Study from the, the real constellations. The real constellations, <laughs> thank you. Um, is what are these 40,000 satellites going to do when they start breaking and banging into each other and creating space junk? Um, from what I'm hearing, and I admit this is partly from Starlink, um, but it's also what other scientific, what scientific publications or science articles have written about, is that this is likely to not be a huge problem for the Starlink satellites, if it's a problem at all, for two reasons. One is that the satellites themselves are designed to deorbit themselves after a certain amount of time. In other words, send themselves plunging into a fury death in the atmosphere. Even if those systems die, um, if the if the thrusters, the deorbit uh, systems fail to work, because they're in low Earth, Earth orbit, orbits decay. And over time, the Earth gradually pulls things that are orbiting back closer to it. So the, the, the claim is, and the thinking is, that these low Earth orbiting satellites will burn themselves up even if they don't, even if their deliberate self-destruct systems fail, just by virtue of the fact that the Earth is going to pull them down one way or another. And when they burn up, then, you know, then there's no more space junk. So, um, there's so much that kind of remains to be seen, and one of the, I think one of the big controversies about this is because this is a you know the land of the private enterprise, and because when you're Elon Musk, you can basically kind of do what you want to. Um, there's a little bit of a hey, let's try it and see how it works um, mentality behind systems like this. We don't exactly know what the impact is going to be on ground-based astronomy. Um, we theoretically, we don't know whether or not these things aren't going to lead to a huge um, explosion in space junk. I really think that, that the latter is not going to be the case because of low Earth orbiting, just the nature of the fact that they're not that high up um, and that they're designed to bring themselves into the atmosphere after a certain amount of time. The astronomy thing, that's a little scary. Yeah. But um, but what we we will be keeping a very close eye on it. We're real interested in um, on on all things relating to broadband and the boondocks. Um, it's something Bob and I have covered for years now, and this is just another chapter of it. And I could just wrap up by say, wrap up by saying, um, Starlink is saying they'll expand to near global coverage. Parenthetical domination <laughs> by the end of 2021. So they're saying this year. Wow. I uh, don't, you know, that's what they're saying. Right. I don't know how, what the bearing is in reality, but they, everywhere that, anywhere I've looked and read, they're saying end of this year. Wow. So we shall see. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting. Starlink.com is the site to, uh, to go to if you want to sign up for the beta program. Um, don't hold your breath. Uh, go to YouTube, check out some of the uh, some of the links for unboxing videos. Um, just search for Starlink on YouTube, uh, and you'll see uh, what uh, some of the lucky beta tenders, testers' early experiences. I have would been. search for Starlink unboxing. Starlink unboxing. Good, cool. And with that, um, this is a call-in show. Um, we welcome callers with questions, comments. We're at eight nine five two four four eight. Eight eight nine five four. Uh, blah, I'll get that out. Eight nine five 
888-528-2448 to reach us here in the studio, he says, within quotes, because we're actually in our house. But um, we welcome questions relating to anything computer and technology related. We don't have to talk about Starlink. We don't have to talk about Wonderground or the iOS updates. But uh, if you've got a buzz, if you've got a question, give us a buzz. Um, yeah, in the meantime, you know, there are still... Do we have? No. <laughs> I, thought, I thought I saw a flashing light, but I did not. Um, the, you know, the controversies relating to um, free speech and social networks uh, continue to rage on. Um, I think the Parler site is back up now. Um, it was taken down by uh, Amazon Web Services. But then there was another internet provider, um, I think one based in Seattle, that um, is kind of like the internet provider to controversial right-wing websites because they, they host a different uh, site that was taken down by a, a larger, major ISP. But um, I think the parlor is back up, and there's a really interesting and kind of controversial um, cyber vigilantism going on where, um, as everybody knows, uh, on the, the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, a lot of the insurrectionists were shooting selfies and shooting video and streaming live and... Um, setting aside the wisdom or the questionable wisdom of taking selfies of yourself and doing live streams from a potentially uh, a for, from a not potentially a blatantly illegal um, location uh, or, or act um, law enforcement organizations and a lot of individuals have been using those um, selfies and live streams to uh, to identify um, some of the insurrectionists. We will talk about that if we have some more time in the show, but I think we've got a call. So let's welcome our first caller. Hi, you're on Point and Click. You're on the air. Hi, thank you. Um, I have a question about a weird problem I'm having with my iPhone SE 2020. Okay. What's, the weird thing is that when I go to my email and I go into check my email, my email that comes into my inbox shows as open often, not consistently, but a lot of the time, and normally it would show as unread. No. My email is through MCN, okay. and I can't find anything on their website where, you know, I haven't changed any settings or anything like that, and I've done a little Google search, and apparently other people have had this problem, too, over the years, but I can't find a solution, and I wondered if you might have any ideas about that. Sorry, so I'll hang your... up and, and turn my radio back on, and if you have any before, suggestions, before you, I appreciate before it. You go, before you go, I just want to make sure I understand. When you look at your phone and your email, it looks like even though the email has just come in and you haven't read it yet, it's not bold. It's it's in that, like, you've hey, you've already read this kind of not bold exactly. font style. That's okay. exactly what's happening. It's not 100% consistent, though. Sometimes I'll find one that is bold and is unopened and i'm playing with it a little bit and i'm i'm thinking that if my inbox is not already opened it seems sometimes the emails are unread but not it's not consistent so i'm very confused is there a chance that. that you have another device or another computer in your house that's also like checking mail automatically or something like that and maybe it's no i don't think so I, the only other device i have is an ancient um hp laptop limping along on windows xp and for the most part i have it shut down so huh. i would have to go into my laptop and check my email in order for it to download any email so I don't think that's the problem. But I wondered, you know, one thing I wondered is with this security breach that they talked about, I saw that and I did update um, yesterday evening. But I wondered if, you know, could it mean that somebody's hacking my email 
Could that be why my email is open sometimes? That kind of worries me, so. but it seemed pretty far-fetched. I'm not That's usually always, paranoid about stuff like that. but um, It's always good to, to make sure that it isn't an option. It's, I, I wouldn't think so in these circumstances, but never just... Never, never uh, disregard the idea that there could be, you know, some sort of exposure. But I don't think so. That's in this situation. Uh huh. Okay. You know, well, just... I'll hang up and turn my radio back on. And hi, Toby. This is Sheila. I, you know, I recognize <laughs> your voice. Hi, oh, Sheila. You? I your knew it was you. <laughs> anyway, thanks. It's a great show tonight. I'm enjoying it. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I'll hang up. Thanks to her. Okay. Um, okay, bye. Bye. Thank you for that. Thank for the, thanks for the call and the question. I just did a quick web search, and it seems like, and boy, where do you, how do you summarize this in a, a short, succinct, succinct, succinct answer on the radio? Except to say, it sounds like it's a server issue. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> that does sound like a server issue to me, particularly if you're hearing that others are having the same issue. I would, um, if you haven't yet, if this is an MCN account, I think you said that, I would ask MCN. Tell them what's going on. Yeah. They might, in fact, have a fix for you. My, you know, my, my mind first went to, do you have some other device that's opening your email or is downloading your email? Now, there would be no reason why that other device would be opening your email unless it is set to mark your email as read as soon as it's downloaded. I don't even know that that's a setting, but it's possible. Um, uh, but it also, there could be, you know, Apple iCloud issues associated with it as well. But unlikely so uh, if it's an MCN mail. But I would turn off mail in iCloud uh, because that also could be opening mail. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, when I did a search, the first thing that came up was a, is a, something on Apple's customer um, uh, discussion boards. And the question is, why is my email marked as red when I haven't opened it? And that sounds exactly like our caller's um, problem. And the answer is, again, way too obscure and obtuse to read on a radio show, but it is a, it is a server issue, a, 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 an issue with the server at the Internet providers. And... Um, I think probably if you, she said the caller said. Um, MCN, I think. Is, has an MCN. I think so. I would give them a call. I would give them a call and I would, for good measure, change your password. Wouldn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever something weird like that is going on, um, inevitably I sort of have a moment of panic and I'm coated in cold sweat and I go and change my password while I then go and figure it out. Yeah. Because then at least you know you're secure and on the on the very small chance that this is something nefarious, you know that you have blocked somebody from getting to your email, which I'm sure this is not, but it's always a good um, reminder to keep your password complex and frequently changed, particularly when it comes to things like email bank accounts, etc. Even if you have a complex um, email, uh, password already, change it frequently. And you have a moment when you're not sure, change it. <laughs> yeah. It's free. It never <laughs> exactly. It's one of the cheapest methods of good security. Um, but in looking at this long discussion thread on Apple's boards, you are not alone. <laughs> no, I think that there are a lot of ghosts in the machine that can be a variety of different reasons that it's happening. But um, I think frequently it can be a server side issue that you have no control over. So it's always a good idea to talk to the, the people who. And it may even just be a matter of something that you can adjust in, in it your It may be a setting, right. There may be a setting that you can change, and it may be that you call MCN and they say, oh, yeah, here's the thing you do to make that stop happening. And, and, and Sheila, the, what I would say to MCN is almost kind of what that exact question um, reads, and that is, why is my email marked as red when I haven't opened it yet? Um, and... Uh, I bet I bet they'll be able to straighten you out. I bet they will. They're nine three seven one four four four. If we have time, I'll give you Sage's home number two. Eight nine five two four four eight. Eight nine five two four four eight is to reach us here at Point and Click Central. I have a tip of the week. Oh, lay it on us that I want to share. Please. So, uh, for those of us who have spent time in Zoom. Oh, just a little. Um, we spend a lot of time looking at ourselves. 
I frequently realize that I'm not looking at the people I'm talking to because I'm staring at myself in the bottom right-hand corner. What do I look whatever. like? Whatever, right. <laughs> Why do I look so weird? Um, and uh, uh, recently I thought, can I turn this stupid thing off so I'm not looking at myself and I'm like in a meeting where I'm looking at other people and right. not me? Right. I'm tired of looking at me. It's like, it's like sitting around a table with a mirror in front of yourself. Right. It's the worst. <laughs> and I just realized that in Zoom you can turn it off. Uh, and it's very simple. Uh, you, when the meeting starts, you start, uh, it automatically begins with the speaker view and you can see your own video and you right click or control click or whatever you click on your, uh, to activate, um, you know, the drop down menu, the other options. Yeah, right. Control click or right click. Yeah. And choose hide myself. Hide myself. Hide myself. Oh, man, I want that feature in life. <laughs> and you no longer see the video of yourself, even though others in the meeting can still see you. And if you want to restore it, just right-click on any visible user's display and choose Show Myself. Show Myself. Oh, man. Yeah. I love that tip. All right. Yeah. We'll talk about that more. If, if we still have a call waiting, um, let's bring up that caller and welcome our next caller. Hi, caller. You are on the air. Welcome to Point and Click. Hey, can you hear me? Yes. Just fine. Great. So... I'm not sure if this is in your in your wheelhouse or not, but I was on my phone when I think this happened. Um, um, during the um, January 6th mess up there, um, there was someone broadcasting, or he brought, or he, or he set up a um, a YouTube video mm -hmm. of um, himself filming all of this for about an hour and a half. And actually, Rolling Stone had it on their website. And so I clicked on it, and um, it was fascinating. Um, and I saved it. Um, and I, you know, I just, I just saved it. Yeah. And because um, I thought, well, I, somebody might want to see this. I might want to look at it again. And then, um, literally, within 24 hours, my Facebook account went down. And it said the weirdest thing. It said that um, I'd changed my password. I haven't ever changed That's password. weird. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm locked out of it. I can't get into it because it's not, uh, it's not responding to any information that I can give it. And I wow. thought And I just wondered if that rang any bells for you because it kind of got me worded out. Yeah, I could, I could definitely, that would be creepy. Um, I don't think there's a correlation between those two. It's kind of hard to imagine you going, you know, I mean, if, obviously, if it was like an email from someone you didn't know and it had an attachment in it or something like that, then I'd be a little bit suspicious that maybe somehow, you know, your account got hacked in some way. Um, but if you just clicked on, you know, a link on rollingstone.com or went straight to YouTube or something like that and, and, were, and, and, were, and were watching that video, there's, it's pretty hard to imagine that there could be any correlation between that and um, and 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 you being locked out of Facebook. Now they, um, should they should be separate, right? They shouldn't. They oh, they very yeah, much are because uh, YouTube is owned by Google. <clears throat> yeah, and uh, Facebook is owned by Facebook. And a lot of people. I mean, you know, it was a it was a, and I mean thousands upon thousands of people have watched those videos. Um, either you know for for a variety of reasons which i won't go into um but mainly because it was probably a is a for better or worse an historic event that people wanted to just kind of see and it does sound obviously like your facebook account was hacked um i would recommend that you go to their help center and okay type in i think my facebook account was hacked or someone is using it without my permission and there are some steps that you can take uh, to oh, great. Uh, reclaim your account. But I don't think that they, those two things have anything to do with each other. So you can go to Facebook.com and then somewhere on that, um, Their help that center. intro yeah. screen is a, is a link to the help center. I would suggest just going into the, uh, the search engine of your choice and just say, my Facebook account has been stolen. Ah. And that will take you to a variety of places where you can uh, report a compromised account, etc. And uh, hopefully you can get some help. Uh, getting that back, um, yeah. getting it back. They, yeah, that's that is perfect. Is that in the in, you know I have um, um, local Wi-Fi and I live in an apartment complex, and it seems like every apartment in the complex has 5G now, and now they also all have Echoes. And when I go on to do um, a Bluetooth um, 
uh, casting from my phone to my little speaker, it'll show all of those. And it right. says, yeah. you know, um, you're visible as so-and-so, so-and-so. And right. I've never found a way to turn off my, <laughs> my Bluetooth speaker accepting my Wi-Fi and not having it broadcast across the apartment complex. And I thought, well, this has only been going on for a couple of weeks. And I have to say, I'm not sure about my neighbors. And I don't know what they might do with my information if they could access well, it. If you so you you have a wire you have a Wi-Fi router in your in your apartment correct? Correct. Um, I presume you have that locked down with a password of some kind. I do. I do. Okay. It's locked. Good. I'm sorry. You what? But the odd thing is, is though you know it says that when I'm um, when I'm casting from my phone to a speaker, it 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 tells it shows me everybody's echo, and um. And I'm going, and printers and stuff like that, you know. Right. But right. I'm wondering or not, is there some backward connection they could be getting um, from their Echo into my Wi-Fi signal that's being, I've put into the air through my phone? And can they get to my phone through that? I don't think so. Now, not being a hacker and not uh, being familiar with all of the nefarious ways that hackers can uh, can use to, to get into stuff, um, it doesn't sound like that is certainly at the root of this problem. Um, I would go and, I mean, it could. There, there are a lot of things that could cause the... It, I would just go to uh, the search engine of your choice and do the phrase, my, my Facebook account was stolen or my Facebook account was hacked. Um, and the, f the first half dozen or so results will be from Facebook themselves that will have advice on what to do that you can get back in. The other thing I would be just um, mindful of is, um, is, uh, is just using passwords in any wireless device that you have. You know, the Echo devices, I think, are pretty secure. There are weird ways that Amazon Echo devices can be hacked. And again, that's a very deep uh, subject. I would suggest that you do exactly that search. Uh, can my Echo be hacked? And have a look. You know, neither of us are, um, are hackers, uh, and they're very well maybe. I think that if you're well password protected with a robust password, you should be in good shape, but that does not mean that it's not possible if you have a particularly diligent hacker as a neighbor. So maybe have a, have a look and do some reading. We may need to do a future tip yeah. of the week on making, um, just making sure your various wireless devices are locked yeah. down and as secure as they can be. Yeah, I'll do a little bit of research and hopefully have some more information next time we're on. I like it. Well, I hope that helps. Good luck. And um, we've just got a couple of minutes left on this edition of Point and Click, so I think we're probably going to uh, wrap up this show. Um, we talked again about uh, Wonderground, the um, really interesting weather forecasting and weather geekery website that, um, that you can be a part of by getting a personal weather station um, and check them out at wonderground.com. That's underground with a W at the beginning of it. And um, then we talked about the, um, the very important updates, security updates to the Apple um, operating systems for mobile devices, iOS 14 and iPad OS. Uh, the latest versions are 14.4. Um, some security holes were discovered in iOS 14, and Apple has plugged those holes, and you can get the free update. Plug your phone or iPad in, leave it alone, walk away from it for over an hour, let it do its thing, and um, and uh, and then uh, and then it will update. And then we wrapped up with talking about Starlink and one possible solution to um, broadband in the boondocks. For Toby Molina, I'm Jim Hyde, and for Bob Lawton, who is still shoveling snow by candlelight. We will be back in two weeks with more of this madness. Stay tuned for Radiogram with Jamie Roberts. And in the meantime, we'll see you then. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody, and have a good night. Good night. Good night. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, you can go to kzyx.org to find more shows and content like this one. While there, you can stream us live or check out our jukebox. And if you like what you hear, consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. We are Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio. KZYX, Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Woolitz and Ukiah, 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Thanks for listening.